open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Alleluia. The true God, one in three, and three in one. O come, let us worship him. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth, the strength of the hills is his also. It is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, Never shall be world without end. Amen. The true God, one in three and three in one. O come, let us worship him. God is in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. The God of Israel is he that giveth strength and power unto his people. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. O God, when thou wentest forth before thy people, thou, O God, hast prepared of thy goodness for the poor. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. God is in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. The God of Israel is he that giveth strength and power unto his people.
The Old Testament lesson for the 11th Sunday after Trinity is written in the fourth chapter of Genesis, beginning at the first verse. The man knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and gave birth to Cain and said, I have gotten a man with the Lord's help. Again, she gave birth to Cain's brother, Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. As time passed, Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the ground. Abel also brought some of the firstborn of his flock and of its fat. The Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he didn't respect Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry, and the expression on his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has the expression of your face fallen? If you do well, won't it be lifted up? If you don't do well, sin crouches at the door. Its desire is for you, but you are to rule over it. Cain said to Abel his brother, Let's go into the field. While they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Now you are cursed because of the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. From now on, when you till the ground, it won't yield its strength to you. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me out today from the surface of the ground. I will be hidden from your face, and I will be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. The Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever slays Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. The Lord appointed a sign for Cain, so that anyone finding him would not strike him. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. The epistle is written in the fifteenth chapter of the first epistle to the Corinthians, beginning at the first verse. Now I declare to you, brothers, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold firmly the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over five hundred brothers at once, most of whom remain until now, but some have also fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to the child born at the wrong time, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, who is not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the assembly of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. His grace which was given to me was not futile, but I worked more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. In God my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song will I praise him. Unto thee will I cry, O Lord my rock, be not silent to me. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry unto thee. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling in all generations. Alleluia. The Holy Gospel is according to St. Luke, the 18th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus also spoke this parable to a certain people who were convinced of their own righteousness and who despised all others. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed to himself like this, God, I thank you that I am not like the rest of men, extortionists, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far away, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
Here ends the Gospel. Praise be to Thee, O Christ. Forever, O Lord, Thy word is settled in heaven. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Lord, I have loved the habitation of Thy house and the place where Thine honor dwelleth. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. School already starts this week. The summer has just flown by. Which means parents, I'm guessing most of you, if not all of you, have been school shopping, haven't you? So let me ask you a question. How many of you took that school supply list and didn't just buy the basic stuff for your kids, but splurged on them? For instance, your kid needs a new backpack for the year. You didn't buy them just a plain, solid-colored backpack, did you? No, you you bought the special Pokemon or Bluey backpack which probably costs about five bucks more, even though it's no different. And you didn't buy your kids just the plain $1 folders. No, you bought the $4 folders with Mario or whatever cartoon characters on them. And you didn't just let your kid go to school this week with the same old summer attire. No, you probably bought them something brand new, nothing from Goodwill, something brand new that they could go to school in on Thursday. Even though, especially if you have a boy, they'll have holes in those clothes in the next two weeks. If you didn't splurge on your kid in all of those ways, chances are you did splurge on your kid in some of those ways or in other ways. So my question is, why? Why splurge for your kid? Why not buy the plain basics instead of going with an overabundance of things that are the same but a little nicer? And the answer is simple. You didn't do it because your kid begged and begged for it. They might have, but that's probably not why you did it. Or because your kid did some awesome good work for you. You did it because you love your kids. It's as simple as that. From that love and faithfulness as a parent, you want to give your child an abundance of what God has given you. And that's a good thing. And we we see this concept played out in the Gospel and the Collect for today. So let's take a look. Let's look at the Gospel where it starts saying this. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous And treated others with contempt, saying, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. So we have two Jews going to the temple to pray. That's not really a surprise. What is a surprise is how completely different these two men are. Now many would look at the Pharisee, and in those days considered him to be a man of God the epitome of what everything a Jew ought to be. Here was a righteous and knowledgeable teacher of Israel. And in Jerusalem, he would have been a normal fixture in the temple. He would have been very welcomed there. The tax collector was just the opposite. Many considered him to be a traitor to God and his people, the epitome of everything the Jews shouldn't be. He collected taxes, from his brother Jews, and gave that money to unclean Gentiles. He was considered to be an unrighteous thief, collecting more in taxes than what Rome required, and then keeping all that extra from himself, stealing from his own people. As a Jew, if you were a Jew back then, your greatest fear was probably that your kid would be either, grow up to be either a tax collector or a prostitute. None was better than the other. It was, more like, it was most likely a great shock to see this shameful man come into the temple. And I doubt that many welcomed him there, as we see from the Pharisee later in the parable. So, Christ sets this up, and we know who these two men are. 
And that's where our focus shifts. Look at all the differences between these two. But that's not where Christ wants our focus. Because if that's where our focus is, we'll miss the point. The focus as they go into the temple to pray is, what God are they going to pray to? And what do they expect from Him? That's going to be the point of this parable. So our Lord continues. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Not only are these two men completely different, their prayers are completely different. The Pharisee is, Christ talks about first. He comes before God praying a prayer of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving that he's not a thief or unjust or sexually immoral. Thanksgiving that he's better than other men, especially that tax collector far in the corner. What the Pharisee says he does in this prayer is probably true. As he gives thanks to God saying, I fast twice a week, I tithe of all that I have. As he gives thanks to God for being that kind of man who does this, the Pharisee probably does. There's really nothing untruthful there. Now think about this if you're a Jew in the synagogue. You see a tax collector in the corner who probably ripped you off a month ago, and then you see this Pharisee who's obviously fasting and giving the tithes required of him. You'd thank God for the Pharisee too. Because he seems like a righteous man. He didn't rip you off. But notice in the prayer of the Pharisee that he doesn't ask God for anything. He doesn't petition God for anything. Instead, he thanks God for who he is. Who he himself as a Pharisee is. And he lays before God in this prayer all that he himself has done. And he shows God how much better he is himself compared to other men. He doesn't ask God for a thing. Instead, he lays all this out before God. He shows God how righteous he is. And what he's doing is he's expecting and demanding everything from God. He doesn't fear God. He fears, loves, and trusts in himself. He expects all good things from himself because he thinks he can earn it for himself. There's not a word of humility in him. Instead, he goes up in front of the temple before everyone and with pious sounding words. He's telling God, in effect, do you see all that I have done? Look at all the righteousness I've merited. Look how righteous I am. Now God it's time to pay up. It's time to give me what I've earned. He approaches God more as an employee approaches a boss or like a slave approaches a master. At best, he's the son refusing to come into the house until the master gives him the fattened calf he's owed so he can eat, drink, and be merry with his friends. He doesn't love God. He hates God. But he's played God's game so that he can get what is his. His trust and his source of power that he's thankful for, it's not God, it's himself. And again, you can almost imagine the Pharisee standing up in the front of the temple, looking to heaven, shouting out his prayer, making a show of his prayer, and making sure that everyone knows the tax collector is shameful and he is righteous. And now, Christ gets to the tax collector. And the tax collector brings only one thing before God in this prayer. Again, you see that the Pharisee says that this tax collector, all these things the Pharisee says, he's thankful that he's not. He's really accusing the tax collector of being. So the Pharisee says, I'm thankful I'm not an extortioner. That's what the tax collector was. The Pharisee's thankful that he's not unjust. That's what the tax collector is, unjust in how he treats his own people. The Pharisee says he's not an adulterer. That's what the tax collector most likely was. And you know what? Again, everything the Pharisee says is true. 
The tax collector probably did all of those things, is all of those things. And the tax collector in his prayer doesn't deny any of it. Instead, he's too shameful to even look up toward heaven as he sets all of these sins down before God. That's what he gives God as a confession. He confesses all of that he's accused of. And he doesn't mention anyone else, just that he himself is a sinner. He knows he deserves to be condemned. He knows he deserves hell. And he asks only one thing of God. Be merciful to me, a sinner. As if he said to God, do you see all I have done? All the unrighteousness I've committed. Lord, I deserve hell. But God, forgive me my sins. And even though I don't deserve it, give me even a crumb of what is good. In a way, he's the prodigal son who wasted everything given to him. He knows he doesn't deserve to be even a son. He would take being even a servant to the father. He'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than remain in the tents of the wicked. That's what he's praying. But although he desires to be a mere servant, even though he would desire even for God to be his master, notice how he approaches God. Not as a taskmaster, but as his father. He desires crumbs. He desires, even if he's the lowest one to get into heaven, even if he's the lowest on the totem pole in heaven, he'll take it. And he knows that God will give it because God is the Father. He's the eternal God of heavenly strengths and treasures who has mercy. So he comes to God in confession, fearing, loving, and trusting in God above all things. He comes in complete and total humility. He doesn't exalt himself at all. And he loves God not for what he has himself earned. He loves God for his mercy. So sitting in the back of the temple, not drawing attention to himself because of the shame he has, and praying quietly within himself, he prays to God the Father Almighty and trusts for a crumb of mercy. Do you see the difference? The Pharisee shows God all of his wonderful works and his reputation. He shows where his trust is in himself and demands God as a taskmaster pay up. The tax collector, on the other hand, shows God all his awful sin. He humbles himself before God. He has no trust in himself. In repentance, he trusts only that God, as a loving father, would at least make him a servant, would give him a crumb. These men couldn't be more different. They couldn't pray more differently. And then our Lord caps off the story by saying, I tell you, this man, he doesn't call him a tax collector anymore. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. How often do we desire to be seen as righteous before other men? How often do we play the game of the world or what other people demand of us only so then we could demand that others give us what we've merited and owed. We do this at home with family. We'll tell our family how much we've worked for them. We'll, kids will tell their parents all the chores they've done for them. We'll tell our family how much we've bent over backwards for them. And then we'll tell them how dare they not let us go out with our friends or let us buy what we want or how dare they critique us as a father or mother. We do this in business. We want what we've worked for. Always money, of course. But more than that, too. Because we want the reputation and credit that we think is ours. We do this with neighbors. If we've done something great for them, that we think is great for them, we think they now owe us. We want it reciprocated. We demand reciprocation. It happens in the church. You've heard the lines before, people saying, do you know how many generations of my family have gone here? Do you know how much I tithe? 
They may not say that specifically. It sounds a little crude, but it'll be implied. Do you know how much I tithe? Do you know how much I've worked to build this church? Do you know how much I've volunteered? How dare you not do things my way? If our family criticizes us, or if our job doesn't recognize us, if our neighbors speak behind our back, or if our church votes a way different than what we want, what do we do? We cut them off. We stop talking to family. We begin looking for other work out of spite. We turn our nose to our neighbors. We leave for another congregation, or sometimes stop going to church at all. That's what the sinful flesh wants. But it's not just with our neighbors that we do this. We do this with God especially. When money gets tight, our family falls apart, if our reputation is ruined through, the, through a mob of friends or by a mob online, or if there's tension in the church, we look to God and say, look at what I've done. I'm a good person. I don't deserve this. I deserve heaven. As if to say, I've earned more than this, God. Why would you let this happen to me? Why would you do this to me? I've played your game, now give me what is mine. We put our pride and works before God. When our flesh gets our way, we put our pride and works before God, and we demand from Him. Or we demand things from our friends and neighbors and church we shame them because we want what we want and what we think we deserve. So we exalt ourselves. We trust in ourselves. We hate God and the neighbor. We played their game just to get what we want from them. And when the flesh gets its way and there's no repentance, it always ends the same way. The person stops praying, turns their back on God and the church, disowns their family, ruins their careers, cuts themselves off from their neighbors. That's how pride leads to our fall. But if you notice in our collect this morning, if we did come in with pride, notice how the collect led you this morning. It gently shifts our focus from ourselves to God. If you have the collect in front of you, look at it. We prayed, Almighty and everlasting God, who is always more ready to hear than we to pray, and our wants to give more than, we, more than either we desire or deserve. The collect leads us to approach God not as a master, not as a taskmaster, not as slaves, but leads us to approach God as the eternal Father of all heavenly treasure, as sons coming to our Father because we need Him. And so from this collect, we're essentially praying, God, we deserve nothing, and we pray for too little, but we're coming to You, our Father, because we know that You always give an excessive abundance to us in what is good. We're praying to God, essentially, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We're praying the same thing the tax collector did. And then the collect goes on. It says, pour down, or really shed, shed upon us your mercy, forgiving us those things whereof our conscience is afraid, and giving us those things which we are not worthy to ask, but through the merits of Jesus Christ, your Son. Listen to that language. Shed upon us your mercy. This collect is bringing us under the cross to pray as the tax collector did and say to God, may you shed your mercy upon me. That is, may you shed the blood of your Son upon me. Shed His blood upon me, Father, and forgive me. Shed His blood upon me and make me clean. Shed this bloody mercy upon me and make me your son. And as my father in this blood, give me everything that is good, but that I don't know how to ask for. Give me everything that is good, not based off my own work, but because of the merits of your son alone. 
It brings us great shame to bring all of our disgusting sins to the Father. And it seems, it can sound rather odd to a foreign ear to ask God to drench us in the, in the blood of His Son. But yet, in shedding His blood for us, the Son took and suffered our shame. Humbled as we are, covered in the blood of the Son, in His blood, that's where we're exalted. That's what happens in baptism. You're drenched in His blood, and then you are exalted. We come and pray to God to show mercy to us and make us mere doorkeepers of our house. We ask like the tax collector does, even for a crumb of mercy. But then before we can even get halfway through our prayer, there is the Father running to us, embracing us in forgiveness, kissing us in divine peace. And as we start the prayer, there he is already putting on the robe of righteousness on us, putting the divine rings on our hands, putting the divine sandals on our feet. And as we finish our prayer, he already has prepared for us the flesh and blood of the slaughtered lamb, ready at this feast for us to eat and drink. Do you see what the Father does? You see how we prayed and confessed about him. Before we can even confess our sin and ask our Father for what we want, he's already dressed us up in his Son, Christ crucified, and prepared the riches of meals for us. Here's the riches of heavenly treasures. Because just as you loved your kids and do love your kids and splurge on them in school in so many other ways, before they even know what they need, you're splurging on it for them. Just as you do that, even more so does your Father in heaven love you and gives you an exceeding abundance in all that is good and heavenly. And all this is yours always. Christ says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So then, brothers, let us approach the altar humbly in our baptism so that as we leave this altar, we may be exalted by the almighty, everlasting God in our salvation. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Almighty and everlasting God, who is always more ready to hear than we to pray, and is wont to give more than either we desire or deserve, pour down upon us the abundance of your mercy, forgiving us those things whereof our conscience is afraid, and giving us those good things which we are not worthy to ask, but through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Almighty and most merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for all your goodness and tender mercies, especially for the gift of your dear Son and for the revelation of your will and grace. And we beseech you, so to implant your word in us that, in good and honest hearts, we may keep it and bring forth the fruits of faith by patient continuance and well-doing. Most heartily we beseech you so to rule and govern your church Catholic, with all her pastors and ministers, that we may be preserved in the pure doctrine of your saving word, whereby faith toward you may be strengthened, love and charity increased in us toward all mankind, and your kingdom extended. Send forth laborers into your harvest, and sustain those whom you have sent, that the word of reconciliation may be proclaimed to all people, and the gospel preached in all the world. Grant health and prosperity to all who are in authority, especially to Joseph, our President, the Congress of these United States, Kim, our Governor, the Legislature of this State, and to all our judges and magistrates, and endue them with grace to rule after your good pleasure, to the maintenance of righteousness, and to the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. May it please you also to turn the hearts of our enemies and adversaries, that they may cease their enmity and hostilities, and be inclined to walk with us in meekness and in peace. 
All who are in trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, or any other adversity, especially those who are in suffering for your name's sake, comfort, O God, with your Holy Spirit, that they may receive and acknowledge their afflictions as the manifestation of your fatherly will. Especially do we pray for those that we name in our hearts at this time. Although we have deserved your righteous wrath and manifold punishment, yet we entreat you, O most merciful Father, remember not the sins of our youth nor our many transgressions, but out of your unspeakable goodness, grace, and mercy, defend us from all harm and danger of body and soul. Preserve us from false and pernicious doctrine, from war and bloodshed, from plague and pestilence, from all calamity by fire and water, from hail and tempest, from failure of harvest and from famine, from anguish of heart and despair of your mercy, and from an evil death. And in every time of trouble, show yourself a very present help, the Savior of all men, and especially of them that believe. Cause all needed fruits of the earth to prosper, that we may enjoy them in due season. Give success to the Christian training of the young, to all lawful occupations on land, sea, and air, and to all pure arts and useful knowledge, and crown them with your blessing. Receive, O God, our bodies and souls and all our talents, together with the offerings we bring before you. For by his blood your Son has purchased us to be your own, that we may live under him in his kingdom. As we are strangers and pilgrims on earth, Help us by true faith and a godly life to prepare for the world to come, doing the work you have given us to do while it is day, before the night comes when no one can work. And when our last hour shall come, support us by your power and receive us into your everlasting kingdom. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, Defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise, and with thy honor all the day. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and Everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through the same Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. We give thanks unto thee, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, thy dear Son, that thou hast protected us through the night from all danger and harm. And we beseech thee to preserve and keep us this day also from all sin and evil, that in all our thoughts, words, and deeds we may serve and please thee. Into thy hands we commend our bodies and our souls and all that is ours. Let thy holy angel have charge concerning us, that the wicked one have no power over us. Amen. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Bless we the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, be with us all. Amen.